Hello, thank you so much for joining me today, DC. Hi, I'm really glad to be here. I've been excited for a while to be on your cast, so it's finally come to fruition. Yeah, it's so great to have you here. So DC, you are a game designer. Yes, I am. I am a black non-binary game designer. I go by they, them pronouns, and uh, I make games about capitalism and uh, and <laughs> marginalized experiences. Yeah, and you have a game called Mutants in the Night, which is a Forged in the Dark game, and it looks really cool. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. Me too. <laughs> Why don't you tell me a little bit about it? So, my game Mutants in the Night is it's my response to the question of like what is my fantasy? I asked myself at the beginning of this year when I was trying to figure out exactly what kind of game I wanted to make. And um, it's kind of a precursor game. It is not the full answer to that question. It is the game designer in me asking that question in the form of the game because the function of the game is to take on the marginalized experience through being a mutant in a society that does not look kindly upon mutants. It's, there's a, a lot of one-to-one -one direct social and political and lawful obstacles in the way of the characters and the society that you're a part of. And in the, the current version of the game that's out and released to the public, you are free to go about and take on the police and racist groups and to protect mutants and find different kinds of mutants and help them through their struggles. It's, it's very open-ended. And so um, the whole kind of hook of the game is that your characters are unique amongst mutant kind and that you have powers and abilities that you can use, like control of flame. Um, one person can erase their own memories and the memories of others simultaneously. Uh, another character has super strength. One character can use illusions. There's a lot of different things that you can do and different ways to approach scenarios. I really love it. I've been following your, your progress through it. And it just, I have just been blown away by, you know, the, the positive response by it. And also just the way that it forces you to take on that marginalized identity immediately as part of the game mechanic. And for myself as a cis white woman, I found it really interesting and also it really like the there are a lot of experiences that i have had the privilege to never had to experience and to me i think it's just so important um and so this was a really unique and interesting game for me to to kind of read about and explore and i haven't had the chance to play it yet but i got a copy of it uh in your early access and i'm i'm really excited to try playing it and and see how it goes because it's so something that really intrigues me and I feel is important for me to be aware of. Yeah, I worked um, really hard on that core aspect of the game because that is where there are the most pitfalls. Uh, as a designer and as like a person of color, it is absolutely essential for me to make it so that in the game there isn't a, a way for, for people to experience or to take on a marginalized identity and then have experiences that omit the consequences of being a marginalized person inside of the world itself. So it's on paper, it's unavoidable. 
as soon as as you play the game, you are a mutant, and being a mutant means a lot in this world. Mechanically, uh, situationally, there are a lot of things that that ask. Like, if you decide to have a a visible mutation, then you will be treated differently in different scenarios, and those aspects influence how even being in different areas. Like, if you're inside the mutant safe zone, there's less of a risk. There's a higher risk if you're outside of one and you have a, a largely visible mutation, stuff like that. And um, it's it was really important to me to find an allegory that overlaps with all marginalized identities because there is at the core of a lot of the issues that marginalized people interact with there's the visible and there's the non-visible but everyone is still marginalized at the end of the day so in every community in every aspect of like disability people who uh, like colorism sexuality gender presentation all of it is visible and non-visible because even if you are a a gay white man, nobody can tell until you present in a way that seems more flamboyant to the straight community or if you're holding hands with another man, stuff like that. That's visibility. Right. And then you have people who you might be a dark skinned Asian person and that carries a lot of weight and colorism. There's a lot to be able to attribute there. So I made sure that it was really solid. I think that's really interesting and and must have been extremely well, I mean, I suppose again that's that's my privilege. I was going to say it must have been extremely difficult to make sure that all of those different marginalized groups can still be played through that visible and non-visible. And so I think that's really interesting that you took all of those different experiences, those different identities of visible non visible marginalized groups and built that into your world it was actually fairly easy once i realized that mutants were the allegory that i was looking for yeah because that's what i spent like in january i was just thinking about how i was going to do it how i was going to pull it off that was like an entire month of me just really really going through everything i could in my head until i fell upon mutants and when i did i realized that when you give people the option, if you say you are a mutant, and through our experience with mutants in media, X-Men is it. Right. Ever since that change, actually, I wrote something about it that's that's going to be in um, the Dream Apart, Dream Askew magazine that's coming out. I wrote an article that, that specifically references how before X-Men, mutants were, they were seen as a part of the whole, like, nuclear threat in that mutants were the, the blobbish, skin-falling-off, like, kind of zombie. Right. And then once... X-Men changed that and said mutants are just these people that come in all different color shapes and sizes and they can have any sort of mutation. All I had to do was figure out how to give every different person an opportunity. I just had to ask the question, like, what is your mutation? And from there, people naturally choose whatever is either most comfortable to them, what they want to challenge, things that they feel. I've had, a, I've had an experience where someone and one of the playtests decided to make a character that represented what they, kind of like their internal identity. Uh, a non-trans person, I, I think it's important to say, because a lot of people who I, who I bring on who are trans, and I find the trans experience to be one of the closest to the black experience and like intersectionality there. Okay. So uh, I was definitely thinking along the lines of, okay, this is what I want to make available for, for trans people. 
but this friend of mine is a uh, a cis person who ended up building this identity that kind of reminded me of something similar of taking your what f- you feel you are and what like that reality is um that people don't understand and may not see because he had some issues with colorism and that um i don't want to give too much about the person uh but uh, yeah of course there's just some some colorism issues and i feel like that that losing some visibility of who you are overlaps with like oh people see me as as something that they have decided whereas i am truly this and seeing that experience and how it mirrored closer to stuff that i see in the black experience and like the trans experience i was like this game has things inside of it um, that people are going to take far beyond what I was thinking of when I created it. And that's what really makes it like special to me. Like That's what makes me love my game. That's so neat. I, I want to go back to one of the things that fascinates me is that I've talked to a lot of people who, when they design a game or play a game, sometimes people play in a way that they wish that they were. So they use RPGs as escapism almost so maybe you wish you were a stronger person so maybe when you play an rpg you play like a high strength kind of based character yeah or maybe you're not very good conversationally so you pick a character who is extremely charismatic to play and so that's something that i've had a conversation with a lot of people and um several trans people who i have spoken to have said that often in rpgs they would play the gender that they wished they could be before they came out. Mm -hmm. And what I find interesting about the design of your game is it's meant, at least from my perspective, you went at it from a point of playing who you are. Yes. Which is very different than some of the RPGs out there about playing a character who you wish you could be. So I'd love to talk more about that. Like, what what was it that made you want to take it in such a a specific direction of playing who you are? So I'm one. I'm very glad that that you see that in the game because it's very important to me that people see that, feel that. When I realized what the game was about, which is really just the struggle, uh, hashtag the struggle. Um, <laughs> I had to do two things. One was to make it available for everyone to be able to put themselves into the game as as closely as they wanted to. And then the second was to empower that person. If I didn't successfully do one or the other, then the game falls apart. I either end up in a situation where people aren't close, aren't close enough to themselves in the game, and so then the power that I give them just becomes like this power fantasy. It just doesn't connect to anything realistically. And then on the other hand, it's just, oh, I'm in this world as me, and I feel very much myself, but I have no power, and then you just feel bad. (laughs) Um, Right. So making sure that people have the tools to fight back against situations that they don't in their real life is what's most important. A lot of the time when someone has an interaction in their real lives that faces their identity that's very uncomfortable or painful, you don't have the opportunity to fight back without there being like heavy repercussions. And that's why a lot of people don't fight back. People can say something like racist to me, and the best that I can do is like challenge that person, but it is much safer to just go about my day and deal with it on my own. And that burden isn't on me. 
Mm-hmm. And people of all sorts of identities have that experience. But in Mutants in the Night, you have an ability and you can choose it to use it the way that you want to. A lot of it is it's violent in some mm-hmm. ways. There are other ways which can be invasive. There's a I still want people to have responsibility while having power. I'm not going to give anyone like limitless power and then say, here, go destroy everything. No, like it's right. There's still a connection between you and the community that you exist in. And there's still repercussions for your actions. But at least, you know, that if you are in a situation where socially or politically or in any way, someone is trying to put that pressure on you, that you have something, even if you don't act on it, you have something that allows you to retaliate and the majority of the time in games i don't think i've ever had someone just there, there's someone who has super strength in the game there's there's one of the um the power sheets where you have super strength and you can be a juggernaut you can take as much or little harm as you want with one ability you can choose how much harm you do to a person with your strength every time you successfully like attack someone hmm. i don't have people going around killing others like they can fight up against straight up like they're called the purists they're the alt-right white supremacists like <laughs> like <laughs> yeah and i don't have people going around like committing mass murder or even killing like individual people mostly it's defense it's it's taking back that sense of oh if you're going to come at me with your violence and and all of this i can come back at you with something and just to mm-hmm. have that ground of defeating fighting against like principle versus principle but in this world of physicality is all that people seem to really want as far as i've gone through plays and so giving people that opportunity while having them really feel like they themselves are in that game so far especially people who who have faced those issues in their own lives have walked away and been like this is something i really love and like i i can feel how important it is to me and that that's the biggest compliment i've ever gotten yeah so why is it so important to you to have made a game that is so very specifically about that marginalized experience versus versus a world where homophobia just doesn't exist, racism just doesn't exist in our world? Why is it so important for you to have that be the highlight or the the purpose of the game? That's a great question. I'm similar. In that when I play other games, usually I'm like, that those things just don't exist. I don't want them. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that it's, it's like super important to do that. On the other hand, it's that if, if you are prepared and if, if you read, if you read like the first page of my game, you should know in that I, I put a, I, I write a letter to the reader. It's like, this game is some heavy stuff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you read it, and and it vibes with you i think that just like there are spaces where those things shouldn't exist there are also spaces where you can in a healthy way challenge and and face those things by your own choice in mutants there there's nothing that says you can't get rid of certain aspects if if it's something that you don't want to deal with there are some things you can get around because i didn't specifically say that there is there is xyz you can pick just about anything besides the oppressed versus the oppressor you can kind of change that to be whatever you want it to be you can pick a particular aspect and focus on Mm -hmm. it 
but it's important to make people face those problems critically, whereas I think most games, they're not focusing on those problems critically, they're just parts of the world that usually don't have any, usually don't serve a purpose besides, like, being like parts of bad decision making parts of leftover bits of fantasy from tolkien or <laughs> yeah. from lovecraft or things like that they're leftover bits from people who, mm-hmm. who were not thinking about it or were thinking about it in a negative light right so i think that's the big difference is that there are a lot of people who will not have racism and homophobia uh, in their games in other games will come to this game and go oh this is where we can actually talk about this. This is where someone has actually put in the thought to to care about us and those issues in a critical space where at the core of the game, regardless of how powerful those those pressures are, we are still more powerful. Right. So always making sure that you as a player and as a character have much more control it just comes down to the choices you want to make i think that's one of the things that makes it much more easier to consume and process and digest those things at the table and a lot of the mechanics surrounding that assist Mm -hmm. in that as well i love that i think your game is just so so important but i think one of one of the reasons that you said that i love is that it's a place to have that conversation yeah And I think that's really important because it's a place to have that conversation, a place to challenge those things in a safe way that can still be fun. And it's it's still a game. Yeah. It's still about having fun, but it's being able to challenge in ways that you can't or might not be able to in a safe way in your real life. And I just love that. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was going for. And having having fun is just as important as facing down like oppression, mm-hmm. both to me in general and like in the game. I changed I, uh, one of the things that people uh, designers end up looking at and loving the most are how I change vices, because in Blades in the Dark, vices are a part of this dangerous cycle that the players go through. But when I ended up hacking the game and putting it into this setting. Vices take on a completely different role because they're the equivalent of, and and this is actually how I ended up designing them, of what do you do after a long day when you come home and you're in your own space and you get to choose how to unwind? So vices are essentially self-care. Yes. I love that. Self-care is something that there are still risks to overindulging in anything, but it really is just self-care. And it, it takes away the labels of of negativity over like drinking and drug use and art and spending time with people or even uh even sexual context like in that there's options to go into those things if you really want to be like oh well i want to face personal alcoholism like yeah sure you can do that but i'm i don't establish that it is negative to come home and drink a few beers with your friends right (laughs) (laughs) or to go out and go to a party and stay out until 2 p.m. before a work day the next day. Yeah. Because in a world where people are stretched so thin, in, in our world, if you're working a 9 to 5 or a 9 to 8 or whatever it happens to be, you go and stay out until 2 p.m. and you have fun and 
maybe make a mistake because you overindulged or something and you're tired the next day. Like you have to do what you have to do to get by. Right. Do what you gotta do. I love that. So what was the starting point? What made you think in January, I'm going to make this game? What pushed you in this direction? Uh, two people took, took the seed of, of what I was feeling and then really helped me progress into what would be mutants. At the time, I was feeling very upset with... I was, I was doing Dungeons & Dragons supplementary content and trying to alleviate some of the the racial and sexist like premises that are baked within the the core of like the the Tolkien sort of base fantasy and then i realized that with something that i want to create i have to understand as i mentioned earlier like what what my fantasy is like what what would a what world would a black person want to play in because if i have to go in and tweak and try and adjust all of these things that is a lot more difficult than just creating something and i was thinking of something very small and so avery altler she's like my mentor she took me under her wing and gave me a bunch of different materials and different rpgs to read and one thing that she gave me was a podcast episode that had a daniel kwan in it and daniel is a brilliant brilliant person i am a big fan in this episode, he was talking about how there are a lot of colonial premises based into many settings, and how he, he ends up teaching children and teenagers about these things, and that when he spoke about these things, I realized that I don't end up playing games that, in their base setting, have been thought about or constructed around my experiences, or what interests me. They are just general settings created by, I mean, old white dudes. Mm-hmm. And most of those old white dudes either disliked or did not think about critically uh, my experiences, who I am, <laughs> the experience of people like me back then. I'm sure that there were non-binary people back then who didn't know what the word was. Yeah. And things like that. It's like there's things things back then weren't made for people like me or my friends mm-hmm. so i had to think about like what what's a fantasy setting that makes me feel comfortable that makes me feel good that would also attract and be a home for people like me black people queer people and then i thought farther on into the intersections like i want to make stuff that's for specifically that a person who is struggling through their day to day and feels like there's the weight of the world on top of them, can look in this book and go, wow, I can just, I can finally do something. Mm-hmm. I can take all of this, like, angst and energy and tiredness and, like, put it into something and feel like I'm making a change and a difference. Yeah. And I love that because it still approaches the escapism fun of games where you still get to go into a game and do something. But in that sense, it's that empowerment against the oppressor. Yeah. And I love that so much. Yeah. I am at the moment working on the full release of the game, and I'm going to be making some tweaks specifically to help along the uh, kind of give give people a little bit more purpose and a little bit more work to do with their surrounding community so that there's there's a loop of I can go out and I can take actions to assist these people, to assist that people, help my community and build it up, and assist people who are already doing the work, who know how to use resources and time 
to successfully achieve like community goals for different groups and putting all of that together while being able to go okay well you can go break into this place that's in the quote-unquote human zone and you can either fight some people or do an espionage mission you can do all the same things that you do in other games it's a world that is very much your creation where i just just am asking the right questions to get you to unleash something inside of you or to ask you a question you didn't know you want to be asked Mm -hmm. something that uh that that statement is something i've i've held on to between me and some other designers that have felt a good design question is to ask people questions that they don't know they want to be asked yeah so what are some of those questions well some of my favorites (laughs) are uh what do you want to do there's a time to ask that question specifically where a lot of games will will give you a bunch of tasks and identities and roles and then say what do you want to do as if you really have a choice mm-hmm. but most of the time you don't it's like do you want to do a or b and already a is looking more interesting than b so people are most likely going to go for a you don't really have too many choices right once you decide to be a healer in a group <laughs> your option is to heal for the rest of the game um Things like that. Yeah. I want to ask people, what do you want to do after giving them a wide set of like actual choices? Right. Where I say, this is a city. What do you want to do with it? What do you want it to look like? How do you want it to feel? What does it smell like? What do you want to do with your character? How do you want them to look in the context of when looks are important to where you can go? Do you want to put yourself in a situation where if you have seven tentacles coming out of your back that you can't go in a particular place or do you want to be someone who you can hide your scales underneath a jacket right asking those questions means that as soon as somebody ends up finally starting to play the game with actual i shouldn't say creating the world is still part of playing the game but hitting the mechanical buttons (laughs) on a mission (laughs) or job then everything that they have chosen up to that point was their choice right they'll feel comfortable in their character and their decisions because they brought themselves to that point. And uh, in just like in the next version, you get to choose who to help, what missions to go on. You can say yes or no to all those sorts of things. You're in a place that you chose what it looks like, what it breathes like, what it smells like, what you look like, where you can go, where you can't go up until the boundaries of mutant kind. And then where do you want to go next? So. Questions that are actually leading you in a direction and continuously empowering you to a point where when you do end up facing off against the world, you should feel or you have the opportunity to feel that you are in much more control of things than in any situation in your standard life because you created all of this. It is it is. It can begin and end whenever you say so. Right. So it's a, it's safe in that way, but also super fun when yeah. you finish a job and then you go off and you're like, okay, I'm going to go in my room and I'm going to go create art for like three hours. I'll <laughs> see all of you later because that's what I do to unwind. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Those are good questions. Yeah. The changes that are being made are really just to smooth out the existing play like the way that it's going to work with communities, you're going to have community leaders that you specifically go to and they're going to say, here are our problems. 
I'm working on these problems as a community leader with this community. We could use resources, this, this, and that. Uh, I will give you jobs to go on. And if you go on these jobs and bring us these resources, eventually we will be able to give you a benefit, a small benefit that will just help you along. Maybe you get another special ability. If you help the clinic, for example, um, you'll be able to fill up their progress clock by completing these jobs. And then you'll heal harm from uh, going to the clinic a bit better than you did before. If you help out like the gang of children that live in an arcade because there are lots of orphans, then when that clock fills up, you'll have better information gathering ability because you helped out these kids that are everywhere all the time by giving them food and protection and like <laughs> yeah that kind of stuff. I love that you're building in the ability to build up a community because that translates so true to at least from my perspective who you are because you are such an amazing active and amazing advocate and supporter in the community for marginalized groups in the RPG community and you have worked really hard to build what is a, a really beautiful community surrounding you, I think, from my perspective anyway. And I love that you're building that into your game because it's so, it's so you. I actually did not make that connection. <laughs> <laughs> but you're totally right. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that is something that I, I was like, oh yeah, building up community. That's, that's, that's me right there. Um, Yeah. I thinking from from several sides, apparently missing the biggest one. I <laughs> I was like a lot of the progress that is made to fight oppression comes from grassroots organization. Yes. And the two things that I wanted to make sure that were done in the game in order to reflect that was one that you are working with a community leader that knows what they are doing. And instead of coming in as a savior that's like, aha, I have all of the answers for you, you are simply using your specific privilege, which is power, in order to assist this person in the way that you can best. Right. And then the other part of it was that by helping the community, you are helping both yourself and everyone around you. And through that empowerment, like the mechanical benefit that you gain is supposed to be reflective of the benefit that the community gains as well. In, in my personal life, <laughs> um, <laughs> there's, there's a one to one there that I am just the type of person where, although I am riddled with my own fears and anxieties, I never feel uncomfortable when I'm talking about how great people are, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> being, being truly positive to me has meant to uplift people with whatever I have to uplift them with. Yes. If my arms are strong, I will use them to lift other people up, to give hugs. If my legs are strong, I will use them to run fast to places I need to be. Like, that's that's the sort of uh, mindset that I've, like, brought into my life. So with all of these people in the community that are working so hard on their individual games, projects, streams... Uh, people who are going to events and doing panels and all these sorts of things. I, it's not their responsibility, honestly, to like promote themselves, which is necessary. Like most of it's like the, the end goal is to, to get, uh, money and opportunity. And I'm never ashamed of talking about how important money is to people who make content. 
Right. That's it's a one to one. People need money to do the things. Yeah. And it and it's not like a ton. It's like we need a million dollars. No. People kickstart for ten grand. Yeah. <laughs> but these people are are usually working working jobs during the day and like working on their games when they get home. They have families, friends to live up to, their own personal struggles. I have enough followers on Twitter and enough people who listen to me for some reason that I have that time and space and emotional energy to say, hey, you see this person who is working their ass off? Appreciate that because they're doing this for you to have an experience. They're working to make this game really good and they're not asking people out there to praise them or to, to lift them up as like the next caesar (laughs) it's quite the opposite they're like i just want to make a game that's like beautiful and means something to me yeah and that's something that deserves to be honored to whatever degree is possible i think that's such a beautiful thing dc and i really look up to you for for the way that you do that and how how you have approached that in your presence online it's it's amazing and I think that it it's so beautiful that you you're using your voice in this positive and direct and honest way that I think a lot of people don't do. And I really appreciate that that you do that and you're you're such a great example of of what people in the community can be doing and should be doing to help uplift each other and to help bring that awareness around these these creations that people are working toward. I really don't believe that pushing people down does anybody any good. And you're such a such a great example in this community of really what lifting each other up means and what that looks like. So from me, thank you. I, I so appreciate you and and who you are and the work that you're doing. I think you're such an amazing example in this community. And yeah. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's, it's, I, I am reflecting back like what has been given to me because what I'm doing comes from so many people taking care of me, (laughs) 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 checking in on me, people just, uh, I've been in a lot of other fields in my life. I'm only 28 years old. For the last 10 years, I've worked more jobs than I could count. I, (laughs) so many, I've moved to so many different places. I've been in so many different communities and all of the things that I wished that I had, I, I really truly do have now in that people will just message me and be like, Hey, I saw that you're doing rough or you didn't get enough sleep or that something, something, or I was just thinking about you and I hope you're doing good. Do you want to hang out sometime? Do you want to talk? Or my schedule's really busy right now. We can, let's schedule a thing where we just hang out. Or people go on Twitter and talk about my game or talk about how my words matter to them. That is, I, I think that the, the difference between me and the person who doesn't have as much emotional energy is that those things probably fuel me, like, like at the core. Yeah. Like that's my particular, it just happened to line up that it's like, oh, this is the fuel source for like this thing. <laughs> um, and that I just get so, so happy when I see people doing well who really deserve it because so many people in the world do well and they do not deserve it at all. <laughs> yeah. So if I can, if I can tip the scales just a smidge, then I'm just, yeah, 
there are a lot of people who, who just aren't as heard or aren't as loud who are out here taking care of the people who are doing the big good things. Yeah. So I will definitely take credit for what I am doing, but also that I want everyone in the world to know that there's an army behind me that is like working. They're working hard. They're keeping me together. They're keeping each other together. That's what's beautiful about communities to me and why I keep promoting it so much. Cause yeah. It, uh, I recently stumbled upon a phrase. It, it takes a village to be human. And like, I, I found like a good chunk of my village and I'm like, whew, I'm making it through. Um, yeah. So if I can say like, Hey, here's someone that you should, you should put a part of your village or here you, you should, you should take a look at how this person is, is making a positive impact in their world because you might benefit from that. They're going to benefit from that. Just bring it together yeah i adore that and i adore how you're building that into your game it just translates so perfectly because it's infectious i think when you build a positive community that uplifts each other and supports each other and loves each other people want to be a part of that people want to feel like they're home people want to belong and when you create a space and a community where that belonging is there they want to share that and it's perfect I had to I had to make something that's true to who I am and reflective of of my experiences. Yeah. And it's definitely something that I I personally gained the most through the reflection of other people, their experiences and and that dialogue that exists between mine and theirs. And so like having a game where that's, you know, all of those ideas, all of what people are bringing to the table are communicating with each other and having that be the foundation of the world that like i really want people to play mutants in the night come forward with their their mutation and their character and and like really feel that and then when they they finish their session and they look out into the world that they see like other people as mutants in that way yeah and that it's like oh like your your life your struggle your whole thing is like that's your mutation that's that's that part of you that I'm like, oh, you are also someone going through a thing that is different from me, but the same. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, just like some empathy growth. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. It's that's great. Gosh, so many, so many of my my standard questions here we've talked about in such amazing ways without me actually asking any of the questions, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is which is just perfect. So. I love that. So let's dial back just a little bit. Before you started Mutants in the Night, what was it about RPGs that you gravitated toward in the first place? And was there a point where you made that shift from player to designer? And was it specifically looking for a way to represent your experience? Was that the trigger that changed, that flipped you from player to designer? Or was there something before that? Well, I would say that when I, I think there was a line that I crossed where I really, in my mind, became a designer. And that's what you mentioned is when, when I had that moment of like, okay, I want to create something that represents me. But before then, I had actually been designing a lot. One of the things about Dungeons & Dragons that I absolutely love is that it turns like every DM into a designer. And most players. <laughs> uh, and once players become DMs, it's like, okay, you're a game designer now. There you go. And I've been playing, uh, I've been playing D&D on and off for like 15 years at this point. Yeah, I think I'm coming up on 15 years. 
and throughout my life, even though I've been doing a bunch of, of different things, RPGs, both like digital and tabletop, have always, always been like the most important like gaming experience to me because of the narrative focus and the stories you can tell and like the depth of the stories that you can tell. Yeah. Like Final Fantasy VII was one of the first like digital RPGs I've ever played and that game has so many levels to the experience of like self-identity and like the change of of who you are in different contexts and challenging those things. And I was seven years old right. when I played that game. Wow. And I was like, whoa, this is this is a lot of I took it from like one level and then I, I played that game later on in my life and I played a bunch of RPGs following that game and then getting into the space of uh, D&D was the first game I played and then I think I played like Pathfinder and some other stuff. I saw the opportunity to then be given be given like the pen or the pencil and go, okay, you've you've played all these games, all these characters that have these levels of depth and experience and now you're like 14 years old and we're going to give you the template here here's a here's a character you write their name and you try and make them like an edgy rogue and now you walk down that path and see what you create yeah i very quickly became a dm and then the first time that i dm the game of dungeons and dragons it was it was a homebrew with a lot of things that i made up on the spot because i ended up wanting to create a world that i wanted and that my table wanted yeah and from that moment forward i've always been making new features and designs and characters, races, classes, and uh, helping out game design friends that uh, at the time I didn't know that I was, what I was really doing. I didn't know like what design was in the world of tabletop or that, that, that what I was doing throughout the years. Yeah. So when it shifted over and I just, I, uh, I got to the point where I'm like, I'm making a little hack. That's what, what means it's supposed to be a tiny, tiny little hack um, <laughs> that. I had really had all of the tools, well, a lot of the tools ahead of time. And that's something that I, I think a lot of designers or new designers usually don't realize is that you have a lot of the tools that that come forward to, to make you able to, to do the thing. Right. And that like being a game designer on paper is really just continuing to do it. Right. Sharpening those tools. So in some sense, you'd been designing since you were 15 years old. Yeah, it was really fun then, and it is also really fun now. Uh, <laughs> I love that. It's kind of just because because I decided that that it's. I, I feel like you're a game designer once you decide you're a game designer. Uh, <laughs> until then, Fair. until then, you're you're just um, hacking rules. Yeah, you're just you're messing around. That's what usually people say. They're like, I'm just messing around with this. It's like, okay, yeah. okay, once you say the words, then there's <laughs> no going back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's perfect. I love it. This has been an amazing conversation, DC. Thank you. You've been asking lovely questions and facilitating the space very well. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm I'm so glad we got to do this. And, and talking about it and talking to you is just like so inspiring. I just, I want to play your game now. I want to play your game with you. I want to, I want to talk more with you. I want to hang out with you. Yes. <laughs> But to wrap up, is there anything else, any other message, anything else that you want to see say that you want to get out there about the community or about what it is that, that keeps you going back to design, that keeps you going back to RPGs? Like, why, why are RPGs so important to you, to the community, 
I'll, I'll just leave that a little open-ended for you. And Yeah. That was a lot of questions in one, sorry. No, it's, it's, that's <laughs> good. I like the, you're throwing out a lot of paths for me to walk down. It helps me facilitate an answer. You're doing great. <laughs> um, this This comes back to me as, like, why are stories important? Because what I realized when I was young and I was playing playing RPGs on my little PlayStation is that I'm, I was just following through a story. And sometimes those stories are linear and they have, like, a definite point that, like, they want you to get or explore or just read experience. And then tabletop RPGs, like, really transitioned into, like, it's your turn in this very accessible way compared to, like, making a digital game at the time. Sharing stories is... And I hope I don't sound like like pretentious historical person, <laughs> but when I think about it, like it's it's something that's so important to like speak and share a story with someone verbally in person, person to person. Um, uh, I love that the internet gives us the opportunity to go voice to voice because that is also like a big part of that as well. It's deeply personal. The way that that you people two people can read off of the same page the same story and. You can get completely different things from it. You get the experience of how that person reads it and how they read it shows a part of who they are. So tabletop RPGs being this thing that bring everyone to a same space to share like these deeply personal experiences together, that in itself is something that should be and, and is widely like honored as this it's a beautiful ritual mm -hmm. uh, that we've been doing before we had games. Yeah. In this day and age where we don't bring people together at a table very much often at all. Yeah. Except for in spaces that are so socially loaded. Yeah. Doing it specifically to go, okay, let's investigate and explore and create around this premise or this mm -hmm. idea or this story in which we are allowed to take ourselves make something in that context of what we've been given and then go forth together. That's, it's just, it's just beautiful. It's absolutely fantastic. As a designer, I think that we, I, I will rarely say this, but I, I think that we absolutely have to understand that we are becoming facilitators of that ritual and that what happens at that table is like sacred and we need to contribute to that with that idea in mind because the stories that we bring forward should be they should honor the fact that these people came to the table together to experience what you're giving to them mm -hmm. so everything should be thought through like in respect of those people of their lives where they're coming from who they are the experiences they might have that's why it's you're, you're like you're like giving them this thing that you worked on really hard. You bow your head and you put it on the table and you walk away, or you play with them, you know. And you <laughs> yeah. go, please partake of this thing that I created, so that you can can tell stories together. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's so so perfectly articulated and so wholesome and pure, and I love it so much, DC. Thank you. It's. It's what games like gave to me and what they continue to give to me and what other designers out there, the ones that I love especially, are doing. And so uh, you are very welcome. And a part of that being very welcome is I will make games for you and for for everyone, hopefully, that, <laughs> that like can respect you and give you a, a space to experience that particular 
thing that I, you know, feel like giving forth. Um, <laughs> and that's like art in, in a general sense, I would hope. Yeah. My understanding of it currently. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. This, this has been amazing, DC. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. It really has been. You're such a delight to talk to, and I, I'm, I'm quite speechless in some ways. You've just got such a beautiful knack for words and for, for telling your story, and I love it. Thank you. Anytime. Support for the I Am Here podcast, presented by RPG Casts, is made possible by listeners like you. You can help the show going for as little as $1 a month when you become a patron on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash rpgcasts to check out exclusive rewards for patrons and to make your pledge. The intro and outro music for I Am Here was composed by Emily E. Mayo. Special thanks to Peter Grelly for designing the graphic art and assets for both RPG Casts and for I Am Here. Thank you so much for listening. It means so much.